Let's pray. God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out, uh, pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding, that our hearts and minds may be opened. Amen. Our scripture readings from Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. You can find it on page 8 of your bulletin. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly have filled himself with the pods the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me but like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fat calf because he's gotten him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this young son of yours comes back who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fat calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that, I, that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of the Lord. I've really enjoyed uh, these past three weeks uh, hearing this parable read by three different people in our service. Uh, it's been wonderful. Uh, we've been studying this, this parable and, and looking at it from several different angles. First, we considered the younger brother who leaves home. Uh, we saw that he valued the father's things more than the relationship with the father. And then we looked at the elder brother who is very different from his younger brother. He, he stays home and he does everything right. But we saw that he also values what he can earn from his father more than the father himself. Both sons show us how we cut ourselves off from God uh, through rebellion and through self-righteousness. As a result, one of them wants to be a servant when he comes home, and the other feels like one, though he's been home the whole time. 
neither of them truly sees the Father for who he is. So today, we want to circle back again and ask if we see the Father and what Jesus is inviting us to believe about the character of God through this parable. The comedian Stephen Colbert once made a a not-so-funny joke. Uh, He said, A father's job is to be distant, authoritative, and never quite pleased. That way, the children can eventually understand God. Even for those of us who are are believers, or or those of us who have had good models of fatherhood, uh, I actually think that this this joke may be closer to our experience than we're comfortable admitting. Now, why is this? Jesus told this parable to answer this question and to invite us to see God not as a distant father, but as one who always moves towards his children in self-sacrificial love. You'll remember that the context of this story in Luke 15 is Jesus' conflict with the religious leaders of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees. They were shocked that Jesus welcomed people who looked like the prodigal son, people who had done everything wrong spiritually, the failures and the rejects. Jesus tells this parable to show the scribes and the Pharisees that they were acting like the elder brother, standing outside the party, and that, in fact, God was present in his ministry. There was a divine celebration happening, and they were in danger of missing it entirely. So what do we need to see if we're not going to miss the party? Three things here are essential. Uh, We need to see the Father's compassion, the Father's celebration, and the Father's community. Let's look at each one of these. First, the Father's compassion. Verse 20 tells us that the prodigal son set off and went to his father, but while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Each word used to describe the actions of the father is significant. That the father saw him, he saw him while he was still far off, suggests that the father was always looking for him while he was away, waiting for his return. The the word that's used for compassion is is a great word in the Greek New Testament. Uh, The word in Greek is sponknizomai. Sponknizomai. It means to to have compassion or or pity on someone. Uh, But but the root of this word, the the sponkna, are the guts of a person. Uh, It's it's a way of, of saying that a person has affection or, or sympathy for another in the deepest possible way. In Greek, uh, the way you, you say that is your guts went out to someone. Uh, we would say your heart went out to them. Uh, but they, they said your, their guts went out to them. Uh, how does the father here express this kind of deep compassion and love? Well, he was not only looking for his son, but when he saw him, he ran towards him. To understand the power of this image, you have to imagine the father wearing the traditional robes that men wore and sometimes still wear today in the Middle East. Uh, Kenneth Bailey, a a scholar who writes from a deep knowledge of Middle Eastern culture, uh, writes about this. He says, a Middle Eastern nobleman with flowing robes never runs anywhere. 
to do so is humiliating. Uh, in the ancient world, the Jewish author Ben Sirah confirms this attitude. He says, a man's manner of walking tells you what he is. And Aristotle once said, great men never run in public. But the father of the prodigal is willing to be humiliated when he sees his son and he runs towards him. And when he reaches him, he puts his arms around him. Many of you are familiar with the famous painting by Rembrandt that portrays the, this meeting between the father and the son. Uh, it's a beautiful painting, but like any picture, it only captures one moment, and it shows the father with his hands placed upon the son's shoulders. And what, what I don't think that painting quite captures is the father going further to put his arms around him. Uh, in Greek, it, it says that he fell upon his neck. He, he embraced him. And then kissed him. He, he welcomed him immediately in, in an intimate way as a beloved son. Together, the, these images, the seeing, the compassion, the running, the embrace, the kiss, uh, they reveal an extravagant love. In response, the, the son declares his unworthiness. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father goes on to affirm what he has already done in embracing the son. He commands the servants to bring the best robe and put it on him. Put the, he puts the signet ring of the family on his finger and he puts new sandals on his feet. Notice that all of this happens before the son has done anything to clean himself up. He returns as a sinner. The, the robe covers his dirty clothes. The father doesn't wait for his son to change. He affirms his identity in the family immediately. He doesn't just want his son to know that he is a son. Okay, of course, you're my son in abstract terms. He wants him to experience his loving embrace. Isn't this why we sometimes struggle to see God as, as this generous, this extravagant in his love towards us? We believe in God. We know that he is a, a God of love. But we don't experience that love because we believe somehow more strongly that we are only worthy to be a servant in his house. We need to see that, that the Father embraces us and that he covers us. Now, these verses that we've read three times uh, for our assurance of pardon from Paul's letter to the Galatians tell us that, that God does two things for those who are in Christ. Uh, Paul writes, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. He's saying that God gives us the status of, son, of, of sonship in the household. But then he goes on to say, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. God sends the spirit to give the experience of sonship. Martin Lloyd-Jones 
put the difference like this. He said, picture a man walking along a road with his little boy, holding hands, father and son, son and father. The little boy knows that the man is his father and that his father loves him, but suddenly the father stops, picks up the boy, lifts him up into his arms, embraces him and kisses him. The boy is no more a son when he's being embraced than he was before. The father's action has not changed the status of the son, but oh, the difference in the enjoyment. That's what God invites us into, to enjoy our sonship in his household. If if this is the offer of the gospel, why are we so very often like the elder brother, holding ourselves back from the father's celebration. What does it really mean for us to respond and enter into this love? I've been reading a new book by an author uh, who often writes on themes of religion and culture uh, named David Zoll. And the book is entitled Seculosity. Uh, Seculosity is a a play on the word religiosity. Uh, And his, his basic point is that in our secular world in which many people no longer embrace traditional ideas about religion, there is still a lot of religion. It's just migrated to other areas of life, to parenting, technology, food, politics, romance. In all these areas and more, we find the same intensity of belief, orthodoxies and and heresies that, that people used to bring to their religion. But now the object of hope is inside this world, rather than outside. He says, we may be sleeping in on Sunday morning in greater numbers, but we've never been more pious. The word he uses to describe this peculiar kind of piety is the word enough. He writes, listen carefully and you'll hear that word enough everywhere, especially when it comes to the anxiety, loneliness, exhaustion, and division that plague our moment to such tragic proportions. You'll hear about people scrambling to be successful enough, happy enough, thin enough, wealthy enough, influential enough, desired enough, charitable enough, woke enough, good enough. We believe instinctively that were we to reach some benchmark in our minds, then value Vindication and love would be ours. That if we got enough, we would be enough. Isn't this what we see in the parable? The younger brother pursues freedom and independence, but he's never able to be free enough. The older brother pursues obedience and goodness, but he's never able to be good enough. In order to enter the Father's feast, both sons must give something up in order to experience the Father's joy. The younger son must give up his attempt to live on his own, apart from the Father. But in exchange, he receives the Father's joy. The the elder son must give up his attempt to do everything right to win his Father's approval. But in exchange, he receives the Father's joy. For, for both sons, entering the father's celebration means finding their enoughness in relationship with the father. This raises a question. Do we believe that the father's joy is enough? 
for us. That's the trade-off, isn't it? This is our problem. It's not just that we do bad things, but that we don't trust God to be the giver of good things. And that in relationship with him, the deepest longings of our hearts will be satisfied. We don't believe that he is good. We don't believe that he wants the best for us. And so we seek salvation in other things in this world that we think can fulfill the longings of our hearts. In the gospel, God offers himself to us in the person and work of Christ so that we might see him in a new way and know that he is enough. As we saw last week, just as the father moves towards his sons, God moves towards us to bring what we need from the outside. A righteousness that we do not have to earn or achieve, but only receive as a gift. But in order to receive it, our hands must be empty. The Puritan David Dixon once described it this way. He said, I have taken all my good deeds and all my bad deeds and have cast them together in a heap before the Lord and have fled from both to Jesus Christ. And in him I have sweet peace. When you know this peace, you're no longer at the mercy of your circumstances or or even at the mercy of yourself. When things are going well and you're tempted to be puffed up and pridefully think that it's because you're so great, you can remember that, that God's love doesn't depend on you. And so you're humble even in the midst of great success. And when things are not going well and you're tempted to be discouraged and despondent, you can also remember that God's embrace is for strugglers and for sinners. And so even though you may be crushed, you're not in despair. If you find the deepest longings of your heart fulfilled in Christ's love, then you have enough to endure the most difficult circumstances. You may be confused, you may be uncertain about many things, but not about God's compassionate love towards you. So we've talked about the Father's compassion. We've talked about the Father's celebration and and what it means to enter into it. Finally, let's consider the, the Father's community. In verse 31, the Father invites the elder son into the party, and he says, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Two things about this that we haven't said yet. First, when the the father calls the elder boy here, son, he uses uh, uh, a word in Greek that's not the the generic word for son, huios, but instead uh, the word tekna. Uh, It's it's the word for for son that's that's, uh, affectionate and, and intimate. As he comes to this self-righteous elder brother, he comes affirming his love for him, just as he affirmed his love for the younger son. He goes out to both of them. He welcomes both of them. And this is the second point, that the father not only wants a relationship with each son, he wants to see them in relationship with each other. He wants to see them in the celebration together. 
the elder son rejected his brother in verse 30 as this son of yours. But in verse 32, the father responds, no, this brother of yours. What do we conclude from this? It's that this relationship of grace that Jesus is revealing is not only individual, but also communal. If the elder brother enters the celebration, he must accept his brother as his father sees him, brought back from the dead, restored to the family. This helps us see that that one of the greatest tests of whether our hearts have been truly transformed by grace is our attitude towards others, especially when they are different from us or have offended us in some way. There's no way to receive God's forgiveness and embrace without forgiving and embracing others. Jesus told this parable, perhaps we should call it the the parable of the compassionate father, to explain why a new kind of community was gathering around him in which the outsiders were welcomed in and the insiders were challenged to go outside to seek the lost. I believe that Jesus is still gathering that kind of community around him because he didn't just talk about this. But in his life, death, and resurrection, he embodied this message. He experienced the loss of his father's eternal embrace so that we who were on the outside might be welcomed in. He was stripped so that we might be clothed. He died so that we might receive life. And to those who are ready to give up depending on themselves, whether in rebellion or in religious performance, he offers joy. A joy that compels us to reach out towards others, to move towards the lost and the broken. We're able to do this, not because of anything in ourselves, but because we know that our Father is not distant. He invites us to eat and drink with him at his table today, to experience his joy and to find him enough in the midst of whatever struggle you may face this week. Let me invite you to to ask yourself this question as, as we prepare to go to communion. As God thinks of you right now, what is the look on his face? Do you picture God as disappointed, angry, indifferent? Is he saying to you, get your act together? Or if only you could do a little more for me? Here's the gospel truth. In Christ, God is deeply satisfied with you. He looks at you as he looks at his own son. He's overjoyed in you. He delights in you. And there is nothing that you can do to make him love you any more or less. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Would you help us to see you today as running towards us in mercy and grace? We admit that we do not trust you as we should. We do not believe that a life with you will be joyful. And so we seek joy and satisfaction in so many other things, in our work, in our relationships, in our politics, rather than in you. We make good things into ultimate things, and we fail to love you and our neighbor. 
Would you help us to see your goodness to us in the person and work of Jesus? To know your love in him. To respond with gratitude. Following the one who is willing to give up everything to bring us home. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.